I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oklahoma football player has announced his retirement from the game. Let's see what else is going on in the world of Sooner Sports. Basketball moves to 5-0 on the season. Big game coming up at home, Senior Day, Oklahoma versus TCU. Are you worried about maybe facing Baylor once more in the Big 12 championship game? Have some Oklahoma players improved their draft stock this season? Absolutely. The answer to that question is yes. We'll talk about those, uh, give you our take on it, and we'll also run down the Big 12 weekend in college football. What's up, everybody? Matt Hofeld finally along with the one and the only Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, It's been a while. I mean, last time you and I previewed a game together, it was Kansas State, and uh, we all know how that worked out. So maybe me flying solo is the way we should do this podcast from now on. You know, you you make a point here, but riding up to that point of the season, we had podcasted together. There's there's no formula. There's no um, – what's the term that I'm looking for? Cool. It just escapes <laughs> both of us. So we'll forego that. But I, I don't think there's any formula here is ultimately what I'm saying. Superstition was the word that I was uh, looking for. Superstition, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's start with Grant Calcaterra, and this is a story that honestly uh, you've known about this for a couple of weeks now, at least at least two weeks. I remember you texting me about this yeah. and telling me Grant's going to retire from football. Uh, we and and kudos to you. We set on that story because that's Grant's story, not ours, to break. And I honestly, I mean, I, I didn't believe you. I was like, yeah, he's <laughs> he's. I mean. I didn't think it was going to happen, but uh, we're recording this on on Thursday evening, uh, about an hour and a half before we hit the record button. Grant Calcaterra announces his retirement from uh, college football, plans to go ahead and graduate and move back to California, become a fireman. Uh, good for him. You know, he's going to, for as significant as he was last season, leading Oklahoma to the Big 12 championship, uh, into the college football playoff, Kyler Murray with the uh, Heisman Trophy last year, Grant being one of his primary targets you know he finishes his career with just 41 catches 637 yards nine touchdowns but it seems like it was a very significant 637 yards nine touchdowns yeah i completely agree with you and one of the most popular clips that's being played on social media concerns grant calcaterra that was in the big 12 championship oklahoma up by five there's just over two minutes to play there in regulation Gets the heave towards the end zone. I say a heave. It's more of a fade. And he gets the one-handed grab, comes down with it, 
all but seals the game at that point in time. When you're looking at the impact that Grant Calcaterra had, he had to make that impact in one season. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Mark Andrews at this point in time, but he was playing behind Mark Andrews, stepped onto the field last season, had that impact specifically in the red zone, became that target that you had mentioned, and and was ultimately one of the guys on the watch list for the Bolitnikov Award for a reason heading into this season. You talk about a talent, you talk about the size, the hands that Grant Calcaterra possessed, it's it's a significant loss, but at the same time, you've got to be concerned about the health of the players, more specifically when it concerns their future. Yeah, health always has to become first. And, and, and I actually hate this for Grant Calcaterra for the exact reason that you you know you made the Mark Andrews comparison, talking about Grant coming in and and really kind of taking that 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 spot that that role in the offense that we saw Mark Andrews thrive in and now we see him thriving in Baltimore as a member of this Ravens squad and you just kind of felt like Grant was in that same mold had that same uh, ability to make those type of plays and now you, everyone looks to Austin Stogner and you think okay here's the next guy in that line and and you know Austin had a huge game as part of that comeback against the Baylor Bears but you wonder I mean, as a true freshman, is Austin Stogner in is he as developed as a true freshman to the same tune that Mark Andrews and Grant Calcaterra were? I'm gonna say I think Grant Calcaterra was more developed as a freshman than Mark Andrews was. I don't know where Austin Stogner is in this in this mix. I think he's I don't think he's as far along as a freshman as Grant Calcaterra was. I think he's maybe maybe in line with Mark Andrews, and it all turned out just fine with Mark Andrews. Yeah, when I look at Austin Stogner, I don't think there was really ever an expectation to play this season. Maybe very sparingly, maybe use the four games, get the red shirt. Obviously, you have Grant Calcaterra, who plays in four games this season, records five catches, and has been noticeably absent ever since. Oklahoma hasn't turned to Austin Stogner. They've used a couple of other players, whether that's Braden Willis, whether that's Lee Morris at the tight end position instead of going to the freshman. And maybe that speaks volumes to the argument that you're making about that development. How far along is he? How well does he understand what he's being asked to do within this offense specifically? But more importantly, you've got to look at the tight end and say, can they they block? Because that is a big part of the game. And we know, Matt, we've sat here and listened to interviews or done interviews ourselves with people who have said, if you can block at the University of Oklahoma, you will find a way onto the field. So maybe it is a little bit of that development. Maybe it's a little bit of the strength and conditioning as well that he needs to ramp up in order to be able to block before they see him as the most viable option on the roster. But I do believe he's proved himself to be a capable receiver when he's put onto the field and asked to fill that role. Well, he absolutely proved that on Saturday night and, you know, he had two catches Saturday in Waco, and they both went for touchdowns, and they were both huge touchdowns. That's kind of what you expected to see from this kid, from, you know, everything that was said about him coming into Norman. And as great as this class has been, Austin Stogner is that guy 
that was a little bit set apart because he's not the prototypical wideout receiver like a like a Hazelwood, you know, like a Bridges. He's that that big body guy, and you need him to play like he played in Waco. And now that it's for sure Grant Calcaterra isn't coming back, and there's a big question mark still around CeeDee Lamb coming into this game Saturday night against TCU, you just got to figure, okay, Austin Stogner, it's time to make that move. I mean, you're, you're 10 games into your freshman season. It's time to grow up and get out there and be a playmaker. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that, that I've been very impressed by when it comes to Lincoln Riley is that they seem to find the best players to plug in whether that's a specific moment, a specific play, or all season long. There is talent on this roster. There are players who have the ability to step in and have an immediate impact. You can talk about C.D. Lamb, whatever's going on there injury-wise, who is going to step up into that role. I I think a couple of guys filled that, but again, you saw Charleston Rambo being a player who was willing (laughs) to stick his neck out, so to speak, and be a guy who was going to make a play regardless if he was going to take the hit or not. He was an available target. I know that there's talent on this roster. I know that there are players who are willing to make themselves available, and I trust that Lincoln Riley and the offensive coaching staff will find those players who can fill the voids that are vacated at this point in time of the season. Injuries are a part of the game. You have to learn how to deal with them, and I believe that the teams that deal with them the best are the teams that find success consistently, whether it's at home or on the road. You look across the Big 12 landscape, and it's crazy, though, you know, you start, you know, go to Austin, Texas and see the injury problems they had there. You go to Stillwater and you see they, they, the Cowboys, you know, they lose their receiver. Now they've lost their quarterback. And now you go to Norman and, and Trey Sermon is gone. Grant Calcaterra is gone. CeeDee Lamb is highly questionable. You go to Fort Worth. I mean, you, you could literally go around the Big 12. It's been a long time for me to remember this many injuries in one season across the board. Usually it's one team that has the bad luck with injuries, but it's been, I mean, this is, it's been a brutal season on the big 12 as far as the injury front is concerned. Okay. Uh, Grant Calcaterra leaving college football, 637 receiving yards, nine touchdowns is, is his defining moment. This is as, as, as Oklahoma football player is his defining moment, the big 12 championship game. That one-handed catch that you already referenced is that yeah, is that yeah. is that what he will be remembered for? At the I, I absolutely do believe that he will be. Not only because it was the Big Twelve Championship game, but you've got to look at the opponent that was being played. Right. This is a rivalry game taking place on Championship Weekend against not only uh, a Texas team, but a Texas team that had beaten Oklahoma during the regular season. He was one of the members of the team who ultimately, and I said this before, ultimately sealed that victory for the Sooners as time was winding down there in the fourth quarter. Is it his legacy? Yes. I I, I agree a hundred, hundred percent. Okay. Let's step off the gridiron and step onto the hardwood for just a second. Oklahoma basketball moves to five and oh on the season. 91 64 win over Maryland Eastern shore. Stanford's waiting next for the Oklahoma Sooners. Four out of five starters in this game scoring double figures, including Chris and Doolittle, uh, 18 points, six rebounds, Brady Manick, 16.7 rebounds. I mean, it just goes down and, and, to me, I think what I'm when I look at this team 
through five games. And I don't know how much you got to listen when I was flying solo uh, on this podcast, but I've kind of been touting this team. They're pick number eight preseason in the Big 12. I think they're better than number eight. I, I've never said they're they're like a Kansas, Iowa State. I don't think they're top four. I think they're around the middle of the pack. I think they're a five or six type team. But what really excites me, you and I both have been around Long Kruger. We've been to practices. We've seen how he develops guard play. We've seen how he develops a team. But he, I mean, he's starting off the season with a lot of points, a lot of production coming off his bench. And that's something that carries you a long way. It's it's not necessarily your starting five. It's what you can get off the bench. Here's what a lot of people, I think, overlook when you look at the University of Oklahoma, specifically the men's basketball team, is you can go back a couple years where there's a lot of attrition that happens. Players are ultimately making the decision to transfer under Lon Kruger's tutelage. But during that time, if you, like I said, just want to do a quick Google dive, you can look at the recruiting class and Oklahoma was not recruiting extremely well. And I believe that was largely due to because due to the fact that they weren't expecting to have an open scholarship available. Needless to say that comes open and now there's this immediate need or desire to fill that spot that was vacated. Oklahoma way down in the recruiting rankings last year, top 20 recruiting class this year. Was it a top 10 recruiting mm-hmm. class? If I'm not mistaken, I think Lon Kruger, when given ample time has done an excellent job at recruiting and you're talking about the bench play, but it, it starts during the off season. It starts during that, those recruiting cycles. It starts with those signing periods. Obviously you get a, a transfer in Austin Reeves who's who's played exceptionally well through these first five games. But on top of that, I'm I'm most impressed because this is a team who may not start extremely fast, may not start extremely well, but they always finish. And there's a saying that goes with that, if I'm not mistaken. It's not how you start. It's how you finish, and Oklahoma's done an exceptional job at that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, and and it's more than just the first half, second half thing because I think four out of the five games this season, including Maryland Eastern Shore, by the way, a team that came into Norman 0-5, but they led 38-37 over the Sooners at the half. Four or five games this season, Oklahoma has made the adjustments and has come back and dominated the second half. In this particular game, they dominated the the uh, this, the Hawks 54-26 to over the final 20 minutes of the game. I've said this from day one with this this version of Long Kruger's team. It's about conference play. I mean, we've seen this team for the third year now dominate non-conference play. And and they've they've looked good in doing it. You know, you got the win at Oregon State, you got the win over Minnesota on the road. They're about to take to the road again. Stanford's coming up next. But it's what we've seen the last two seasons is is Oklahoma look really, really good. In the non-conference portion, crack the top 25. They're knocking on the door right now. But then as soon as conference play starts, it's like, you know, nosedive. To me, as a fan of the team, I'm waiting on conference play. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get excited right now right. because I've seen this the last two seasons. I want to see them in conference play. Conference play certainly reveals any weaknesses that any program has, but you also have to look at the fact that Oklahoma knows that the the Big 12 annually is one of the better basketball conferences anywhere in the country. Knowing that you're facing top-level competition 
every Tuesday and every Saturday, sometimes on Mondays. And sometimes on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Just, just never but, know. But here's here's the reality that we're seeing play out at OU is they're building a non-conference schedule that boosts the perception, not only of the Big 12, but more specifically of Oklahoma. It's why we saw Oklahoma earn a ticket to the absolutely. NCAA tournament yes, last absolutely. year. But I think Oklahoma also proved they deserved to be there in an 8-9 matchup Flip a coin, but Oklahoma ultimately upends their first round opponent, goes to the second round and plays very closely against Virginia Mm -hmm. in the first half, the second half. I mean, this is the national championship team. And I I think that the roster they had, that was a very respectable outing. Yeah. um, Like all, all true, all true. But again, I, to me, to me, I, I, I'm trying to think how I can say this and not sound like a jerk, okay? Because you know how much just, I just say. Well, it. I love Lon Kruger. I mean, Lon Kruger is a great guy, and he has been so kind to us, you know. But the the end game is what you do in the dance, right? It's it's what you do in the tournament, and 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 you're right. Oklahoma validated themselves, hey, but Matt, on top of that. We, we use the argument all the time that Kansas is a basketball school. Right. We don't expect them to do exceptionally well on the football field. And when they do, it's a complete and utter shock slash surprise. Oklahoma, a football school. Can we apply the same? No, you can't. And here's the reason why. Because you're four years removed from a Final Four appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's not – I mean, you if you're – But if that's, you're, that's like Kansas going to no, the Orange Bowl. it's not because, you know – Oklahoma's been there. Oklahoma has had more success. If you're going to compare Oklahoma basketball to Kansas football, Oklahoma has had more success on the on the basketball floor than Kansas has had on the football field. In 2008 season, Kansas beats Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. That's the pinnacle of Kansas football. But Lon Kruger took these guys to the Final Four. Kelvin Sampson took them to the Final Four. Billy Tubbs took them to the Final Four. There has been more success with Oklahoma basketball across the board than there has been with Kansas football. So we get one final four, like every 20 years. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying the point is that the NCAA, NCAA tournament, that's, that's the, the ultimate measure of success. But that said, I really want this team to be competitive in the big 12. That's, I, that's what the point I'm making. I, I think they've got the talent this year. They certainly have the experience the only issue I see with this Oklahoma basketball team is the size that they're going to play at. Because I, I think there was a weakness that was exposed in the first five games where I can't remember what school it was. I can't even remember the name of the individual. But the center had 30 points mm-hmm. and numerous rebounds against Oklahoma. And it's just because they are going to play undersized, but they're going to also attempt to spread the floor, which does open things up there in the middle um, for rebounds and fast breaks to be the results or the consequence in this case for spreading the floor with a guy like um, whether it's Christian Doolittle. I know you want, want him in the middle, but he's significantly undersized. Let's be honest. He's undersized, but man, he's having a heck of a season so far. He is really good player. And here's the thing that I think with with this as great as this freshman class was, I think the guy, and I said this earlier uh, when I was recording solo, is that 
The guy that's overlooked in all this and the newcomers is Austin Reeves. Not necessarily a newcomer, second year on campus, but had to set out for the transfer rule. But he's leading the team in scoring right now, and he dropped 14 points uh, against Maryland Eastern Shore. He's a volume shooter, and kudos to Lon Kruger for kind of helping him select his shots, so to speak. Only six for nine uh, in this last most recent game. So uh, second most shots amongst the starters with Brady Manick having 11 mm. attempts. Um, but anyway, b- the point is 5-0 and for Oklahoma. You know me. I'm always about the magic number. The magic number is 20 wins, and you're you're in the dance if you're in a, a conference. Quarter of the way there. Yeah, I mean you're 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 <laughs> you're five in, man. 15 15 wins away. Yeah, and the the realistic possibility of being 10 wins in before conference play begins still it's still on the table. Right. Yeah. So you could be halfway there. It, it could happen. Oklahoma at home Tuesday night against TCU senior night, final home game of the season for the Sooners. A win puts Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. If you don't have your tickets, you can be there. You can get your seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price. You can look for seats in the section or the row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. If you go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app, fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is back by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and much more vivid seats has it all download the app and join the vivid seats rewards loyalty program today and when it's time to buy we're going to take it a next step for you new users can enter the promo code overtime that's o-v-e-r-t-i-m-e overtime at checkout and receive a discount of up to 100 dollars oklahoma tcu make it happen night game final game in norman this season Big-time atmosphere. Oklahoma, with the win, punches their ticket to the Big 12 championship. Does it does it bother you at all or scare you or worry you that most likely OU will face Baylor again? In all honesty, it doesn't. I know that we talk about how difficult it is to beat a team twice, especially in the same season within a month of each other, the familiarity with one another, what's on tape at that point in time allows coaches to comb through and begin to dissect or look for those weak points on that second, that second go around. Ultimately, I I think Baylor's a, a good team who has exceeded expectations this year. Very, very high possibility that they will re or not, not repeat, but they will appear in the Big 12 championship game against someone, whether that's Oklahoma or not. But the rematch would not scare me. And here's the real reason why. Um, I think Charlie Brewer had a heck of a game. You saw what he was able to do. Uh, not heck throwing. Of a first half. Not throwing, but I, I thought what he was able to do when he scrambled was one of the the telltale signs of this game and it, it it exposed some things that we've known have been there when you can get out on the edges on this Oklahoma defense you can make things happen they're just not closing down they're just not forcing anything back towards the middle and Charlie Brewer was able to abuse that when nobody In was open half. yeah when no one was open downfield so kudos there um, finding and exploiting things I just don't know that that would happen the second go around. 
Well, and and you're right. And here's what I don't know would happen in the second go go around either is that Jalen Hurts would turn the ball over three times. You know, to and and what you want to talk about crazy, the Jalen Hurts roller coaster. I mean, people are still not satisfied with <laughs> Jalen Hurts. And I mean, all all the guys done is has moved Oklahoma to ten and one on the season. But yeah, and we've been you you've been with me since day one of this season. We've been harping on the turnovers since the beginning of the season. And and what I said Sunday in the post game was that I think we've reached a point, you know, 10 games into the season. This is Jalen Hurts. This is what you get with Jalen Hurts. He's an incredible athlete, a phenomenal football player who occasionally, like every game, <laughs> turns the ball over at the most inopportune times. I don't know if you're Baylor. Here, here's if I'm Matt Rule, I'm doing everything you just said. I'm going to the film room. I'm studying it. I'm breaking it down. I'm seeing what we did. I'm seeing what they did. And then I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, we just gave everything we had to Oklahoma. We hit them with everything in our arsenal. And this team that's not at full strength, CeeDee Lamb's not there. The first game without Trey Sermon. A team that is not at full strength completely dominated us for the final 20 minutes of the game. So if I'm Matt Rule and I'm Baylor, I, I mean, I'm thinking, we got to play these guys again? <laughs> I mean, what, what else can we do? Now, I don't know what's going on with CeeDee Lamb. I, I don't know how long he's going to be out. I don't know, you know, Lincoln Riley's keeping everything close to the vest, but you got to think at least by the time the big 12 championship rolls around, CD lamb will, will be back with this team. You know, you want him back on the field when he's healthy and he's no longer in danger. You go back and look at, um, Grant Calcaterra having to retire for a good example of that. But Holy cow, the guy's 44 receptions on the season, 983 yards, 13 touchdowns. That's a pretty big chunk of your offense missing. And now you're Jalen Hurst. So you got to click with everybody else. I I tend to give Jalen Hurts a little bit more slack than what most people did in that Baylor game. But the point is, I don't think I'm worried about Baylor after that. I mean, I I just don't think I'm worried about it. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm in the same boat with you here. And the, the confidence... For me, I'm going to flip that argument and say the confidence for me comes from knowing that Baylor's strength, the bread and butter on the defensive side of the ball, mm. was stopping the run. Now, you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts and you say, okay, we're going to force someone. We're going to force a quarterback who has the ability to run and can gash you left and right by running the ball. We're going to make him stay in the pocket and we're going to make him throw the ball. Were there some mistakes yeah, absolutely. I look at the avoiding the pass rush, putting the, the this was very reminiscent of Kyler Murray against Texas for me in the regular absolutely. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it looked identical 100%. and yep. plop. The ball now sits on the ground. It's up for grabs, and you can't get back to it because the pass rush is already behind you and closer to the football than you are. Needless to say, um, I felt like Baylor really attempted to bottle Jalen Hurts up in terms of running the ball. Well, what they, they wanted didn't. to do was they, well, they wanted to punish him. They, they wanted to make sure mm -hmm. if you tuck and run, you get hit. And and kudos to them for that. But right. kudos to Jalen Hurts for like, oh, you guys want to play physical? Let's mm -hmm. play physical. I mean, I can do this. You know, <laughs> uh, Captain America, I can do this all day. I, I really felt like that was Jalen Hurts' 
that was his mentality Saturday night. Is like, you guys want to get physical? <laughs> let's do it. I mean, you gonna sing a little song? To well, go with I'm that? just saying. Let's no, no, no. We're not going there. Good, I, but, good. but the point I'm making is, yes, it was a good defensive game plan by Baylor. But I'm, but I'm also thinking that's why you're discouraged about having to play this team again because mm-hmm. your your goal was to beat up this quarterback. But what happened was this quarterback beat up your defense. And and here's what I'm looking at is Jalen Hurts accounted for 69 total touches of the ball. 27 of those carries, 114 yards. That's Career not high. That's not necessarily a stellar outing on the stat sheet in terms of an average. You can jump up though when you look at the passing plays. Well, time out, time out. It's stellar when you're talking about the quarterback. If it's just a running back, it's no, no, a, no. It's, I get what you're saying in the number of carries, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about the rushing average. No, I'm saying even the rushing average. What, what was his average? The average is, I don't know, 114 divided by 27. You don't have it right there in no. front of you? No, the ESPN doesn't show that to me. Needless to say, Matt, I'm just going to go ahead and take a, take a little stab here. It's it's just shy of four, four yards per carry. Any here's what I'm getting 4. at. Four point two two yards per okay, carry. Okay, whatever. That's no, here, that's a good. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback. The heck can you say that's not impressive when this is the quarterback? Fine, fine. But here's 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 the point that I'm making, is that Jalen Hurts. I don't think we've ever seen him throw the ball 42 times in a game. I don't know that anyone expected him to throw the ball 42 times. He completes 30 of those passes for almost 300 mm-hmm. yards. Four touchdowns without his top receiver. as well without his top receiver. And what it proved to me was that Jalen Hurts, as much as you want to think of him as a one-dimensional quarterback, a guy who favors the run first, clearly he can throw the ball is equally as good. And that's been so downplayed for him during his career. There were questions when he came to Oklahoma about his accuracy. There were questions after he proved that he could be accurate about his ability to throw the deep ball. Now, without his lead receiver, 42 passes, 30 completions, 297 yards, four touchdowns to one interception. That's a pretty good outing if you're asking me. He accounts single-handedly for over 400 yards. Is there a team that can stop Jalen Hurts? I, I haven't seen one yet. So if if someone's out there, I believe there are teams that, that could potentially do that. They just don't reside in the Big 12. So re, a rematch with any team in the conference is not something that I'm concerned about when it comes to Jalen Hurts, but the health of the team is that concern? Well, one guy who's going to step up to that challenge to try to stop Jalen Hurts is Gary Patterson, who is a defensive-minded coach. Oklahoma's offense versus TCU defense. That you know, just just a couple of numbers for you. Oklahoma averaging forty-seven points per game, which is the highest in the Big Twelve. Five hundred eighty-one yards per game, which is the highest in the nation. Going up against a TCU defense that gives up just under twenty-seven points per game, 26.9, and 328.8 yards per game. On the ground, TCU is only allowing opponents 119.5 rushing yards per game. That's where Jalen Hurts comes in. Jalen Hurts can be that X factor. I do expect to see Ramondre Stevenson play a little bit bigger role this week in the offense because I think I think what we're going to see uh, offensively from Oklahoma 
is going to look a little bit more like the second half against Baylor than the, the old spread attack, wide open game plan that we saw in the first half against Baylor, particularly if C.D. Lamb is not available for this game, which, again, you, you never know with Lincoln Riley. You don't. And and give him give him credit for the way he's able to kind of keep this injury situation again in the dark. You don't know. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play Saturday night? We hear, you know, you hear a couple hours before kickoff. CD lambs, highly questionable. Then CD lambs out on the field for pregame warmups. And you're like, Oh, it was just rumored. Then kickoff comes offense takes the field after that first defense. He stopped. No CD lamb. You're like, Holy crap. What's going on? CD lamb could be a hundred percent healthy right now. And nobody knows it. Because of the way Lincoln Riley plays this thing. He said on Monday, you know, be a game time decision. We'll see how, how it plays out through the week. But as of right now, it does look good. It does not look good. He said on Thursday, hey, you know, it's a game time decision. We'll see how it plays out. But he looks a lot closer to where we were on Monday than anything else. So you don't know. But I think Lincoln Riley did something against Baylor in that second half that made the rest of the Big 12 go, oh, my gosh. And that is he used this offense just for a power running game that set up the pass. Now, the, the, don't get me wrong. Which is what I thought Oklahoma should well, have done heading into the Baylor game to begin with. But, I mean, there's a difference between there's a difference between running a spread rushing attack and a power running attack. There, and, and I don't really have time to get into all of that, but there, there really is a difference. And what Lincoln Riley has always done, he's always run to personnel. Pass. You know, it is personnel and, it, and it's <laughs> philosophy and it's schematics, but Lincoln Riley has always run to pass. He's there always done that. It's all in a nutshell. Uh, but, but what he did in that second half is he did a power running game that has one or two blocking backs, that has a couple of different options, and really punishes and wears it, leans on the defense. And, and what he did was he leaned on that Baylor defense until they finally caved. And we saw them, I mean, we saw them struggle. Like, what was that, 50 plays or something like that in the third quarter? We saw the Baylor defense just wear out in the third. We saw them cave in the fourth. I expect that to be more along the lines of what they do beginning in the first quarter against TCU. Again, particularly if, if CeeDee Lamb's not a, able to go. But the key, the, the primary offensive key in this game has to be the turnovers. Because Gary, in my opinion, Gary Patterson, amongst all the, the 10 head coaches in the Big 12, he's the best defensive mind that the Big 12 has to offer amongst head coaches. I think Matt Campbell's up there in the running. But I, I'll take – listen, right now – I love Matt Campbell, but right now I'm taking Gary Patterson over Matt Campbell when it comes to that. Matt Campbell has some better personnel right now than Patterson does. But the point is, when you're playing these coaches and when you're potentially limited on the offensive side of the ball, and I, this, I feel like I say this every week, when you turn the ball over, you literally take points off the board. When, when you're Lincoln Riley and you run this offense the way he runs it, to turn it over is to take points off the board, right? Mm -hmm. So don't turn it over. That's what it comes <laughs> down to. Now, you know, I mean, you just know, you, you've seen 10, 10 weeks, 10 games, 12 weeks of Oklahoma football, a turnover is coming. But I, I think I think Oklahoma, the, the key is going to be running the ball on TCU, wearing them down, and setting up those those opportune times for these freshman receivers for a Charleston Rambo, who's 
if I mean, think about this. If CeeDee Lamb can't go, Charleston Rambo for the second week in a row is probably the go-to guy as far as big well, playability. I mean, if you want to talk – yeah, big playability. I'm glad you finished that statement because my mind was talking about being the top receiver, which – Lee Morris held that spot what? against Baylor, and Jalen Hurts' comments after the game yeah. said that he's the the secret weapon <laughs> for Oklahoma. And you do have Lee Morris, Nick Baskin playing their final games. It's senior night for them. So experience-wise, veteran-wise, you've got those guys. But I'm talking about big playability, the speed of Charleston Rambo. Now, I, I, I think Hazelwood, Bridges, those guys, their future is ahead of them, and the future is very bright. Mm-hmm. But again, if I had to pick one, I'm going with Charleston Rambo. And when you run that power offense and that 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 punishing running game, what it does is it sucks the safeties forward. So those safeties, instead of taking a 15 to 20 yard drop, they're going to take a 10 to 15 yard drop. And then you're able to use the speed of a Charleston Rambo to get behind him by doing a play action or zone read, you know, the type option. I think that's what you do. I, th- I think that's your best your best bet. Now, I do think if, if CeeDee Lamb is healthy, that changes things. Obviously, if CeeDee Lamb's able to go, then you're able to kind of go back to the traditional, what we've seen from Lincoln Riley since day one with this offense. But I'll be honest with you. I, I kind of like the offense I saw against Baylor in that second half. You've got to go with what's working. Right. Whether it's this power run game or if you want to run off tackle all night long because it's working – do it. If you want to do the guard pull all night long because it's working, do it. If you want to throw 20 yards downfield all game because it's working, do it. I, I think you have to take what the defense gives you in this situation. Um, the best example that, that really comes to mind was Oklahoma and Baylor had played. Mike Stoops was the defensive coordinator, and the cornerbacks were giving. Oh gosh! Yeah. Yes, and you know exactly where I'm going. I'm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so what? What did they do? The game plan was to throw the quick curls, these out routes, and get seven to ten yards each time. It worked. It chewed up the clock and put points on the board, and, and Oklahoma fell at the hands mm-hmm. of that game plan. So, like I said, I think you look at what TCU's giving you defensively, and you've got to take it. I do like the idea of punishing a team that believes that they're one of the best in the conference at stopping the run. Baylor thought that TCU has a very similar stat line. Oklahoma with Ramondre Stevenson, with Jalen Hurts, and uh, those are the two big punishing guys. I I was going to throw Kennedy Brooks in there, but he's more of your home run threat every time he touches the ball. And then you get these physical receivers out there against these this secondary against some of these linebackers. Oklahoma is excellent when it comes to blocking downfield, Mm -hmm. And, and I know that any physical exertion continuously will wear you down. So like I said, when it comes to the offensive schematics, I, I, I do believe that Oklahoma is just going to take what the defense gives them. And I don't care if that's running or throwing the ball more consistently. Well, I don't think TCU is going to give them anything. I think Oklahoma is going to have to earn everything that they get offensively because TCU knows that this is a weaker Oklahoma offense than they were a month ago. They're without 
Trey Sermon. They're potentially without CeeDee Lamb. One thing, and this is a big key to watch, one thing that TCU is notorious for is defensive holding. Their their defensive backs are going to lock up with Oklahoma's receivers, and they're going to grab them. They're going to hold them. They're going to try to knock them off course. Sometimes TCU gets called for that. A lot of times they don't. But keep in mind that this is going to be a lot of young guys out there can they fight through that? Can can a Jaden Hazelwood fight through that? And and can a Trajan Bridges move beyond a guy holding, grabbing him and holding him? Like can can they fight back? There was one, there was one play um in the Baylor game before the turnover at the end when 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 Denzel Mims gets a offensive uh, gets a defensive pass interference call that really should have gone offensively you know it should have it should have gone to the offense but it, this is a, a good picture of what I'm talking about is that that Mims by fighting back and really kind of taking the aggressiveness here was able to get the I believe as Parnell Motley was able to get the flag thrown and then the officials talk about it well okay we're going to give it on the defense because that's just the way it goes Oklahoma's receivers have to fight like that. They have to be willing to get in there. And when they're grabbed, they got to slap, they got to rip, they got to pull, they got to push. Are they ready for that? And that's going to be a, a big factor into how much Jalen Hurts runs because he's going to drop back to pass. But if those guys are being held and grabbing and not been able to separate, I think Jalen's going to tuck and run. I don't think this is a game where Jalen breaks his record of 27 rushing attempts per game, but I do think it's a game obviously where his attempts are between 15 and 20 and how much, how much higher they are from like 15 or so is going to depend on how well these receivers can get that separation. Another big thing for me to watch is Eric Swenson is replaced by RJ Proctor late in the game. I think Lincoln Riley did some coach talk to say, Hey, we were always going to plan to put RJ in there. He's earned the spot to be in there. But then we just started rolling with the offense, so we left it the way it is. That's coach speak for saying Eric Swenson wasn't getting it done, and R.J. Proctor came in and and made the offense work. I'm really curious to see who starts on Saturday night, mm-hmm. and if they can, can if this offensive line, which I think in that second half is probably the best they've played since UCLA, can they keep that up? Can they become? By the way, Oklahoma's offensive line, a finalist again, semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. At, at, on the onset, when, I, when I, I sent you a text message about this, and you were like, man, that really surprises me. But the reality is this is an offensive line that's paving the way for 334 passing yards, 247 rushing yards, and 47 points per game. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good resume. But It's just look, not last year's offensive line. You look at how young this offensive line is. The the starting five that we had, Matt, were sophomores. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got some injuries, some guys going in and out of you mentioned Eric Swenson. We had an injury there at the beginning of the season. Adrian Ely injury there against Iowa State as well. There has been a little bit of shifting. There is talent. Obviously, there's depth there as well. It is who are going to be the best five at any given moment because this this is an offensive line I don't believe has fully gelled together at this point. And so when you say that given the facts that we're stating or these opinions that we're giving about the offensive line, and you're still saying they're a top 10 offensive line in the country, that that just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely blows my mind. When it comes to, to 
this offensive line and RJ Proctor and the coach speak. I'm I'm glad that RJ Proctor has finally put it together. We talked about some of the struggles, some of the penalties of this offensive line. It had specifically on the left side of this offensive line. Was it the left side? Now that I've said that out loud, um, we talked about the penalties that they were drawing. It looked a little bit uncomfortable, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, there wasn't this ease to the game. It, it was forced in that moment. And when I'm looking at how they've progressed, specifically how R.J. Proctor has progressed, I've got nothing but praise for the guy who comes in one final season as a graduate transfer and is finally having the impact that we thought he could have when he announced his intentions to come to the University of Oklahoma and to compete for a spot with Bill Biedenboe. 100%. 100% 100%. 100% agree. Um, Oklahoma offense uh, against the TCU defense. Um, I, again, to me, the biggest factor here is going to be turnovers. Can you protect the mm-hmm. ball? If you're able to protect the ball, I think Oklahoma has a really good shot at winning this game comfortably. Yeah. Is there a bigger key than that, in your opinion? No, I'm gonna, I am going to piggyback you on that because I'm not saying Oklahoma needs to be turnover free. But they do need to win the turnover margin in this game. For the season, Oklahoma has not done exceptionally well in winning that turnover battle. In fact, I think on the season, they're at negative five. It may be negative seven. I don't have that stat here in front of me. But it it was because we had this slew of games at the University of Oklahoma where the second, well, the defense as a whole, I was going to pin it on the secondary here, but where the defense was unable to force a turnover. We've mentioned on numerous occasions that Alex Grinch highlights the turnovers as saying it's the measure of success. I think he would also, I'm going to put words in his mouth here. I know that, but it's also a measure of effort on the field because Oklahoma in numerous occasions, Matt, we can look at Iowa state. We can look at Baylor. I mean, we can go back through the entire schedule and on numerous occasions, Oklahoma has been in in position to, to turn the ball over yet. They failed to secure the catch or, or recover they, the fumble or recover the fumble. We've seen that umpteen times at this point in time, Oklahoma is in position I think that a lot of that has to do with the coaching and the schematics of Alex Grinch. We've always said that it's the coach's job to put the player in a position to succeed. We've seen that happen. Now they just need to execute. So against TCU, back to the turnovers, I don't think that Oklahoma necessarily needs to win two turnovers in order to secure the game. But I do think they have to win the turnover battle. So if Oklahoma turns it over once, they need to at least have a, a zero on the margin or a plus one on the margin. So that's going to be one, one or two turnovers for me. Well, um, okay. So then that leads us right into the defense in which we, we've got to obviously address here in this game. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And when you talk about Oklahoma's defense against the TCU offense, to me, 
it comes down to the the primary thing is the quarterback. Max Dugan, a freshman going up against Oklahoma, uh, a lot of pressure there in Norman, a night game, legendary team. But here, here's the thing. In the last five games, just last five games for TCU, this kid's been sacked 14 times in the last five games. So that's, that's an average of almost three times a game he's going down. On the season, 15 touchdowns and seven interceptions, just over 56% completion. You got to bring pressure. I think this is a big game for Neville Gallimore. This is a game where the kid's got to bring the heat. Uh, he can against this TCU. Uh, very much – I. I and I, you know, Oklahoma didn't really start to really get into Charlie Brewer's head until later on in the in the game. They started out hot with Ronnie Perkins getting that sack, and then you just kind of saw him TCU kind of take control and and feed off of the turnovers that Oklahoma was giving up, which. Brings me to the second point with his defense. Number one, you got to pressure Max Dugan. But secondly, this defense plays off of emotion. They do. I mean, you you look at uh, you look at the first half against Baylor, and you see a defense that's struggling. You look at the second half against Baylor, you see the defense that is dominating. And the difference is two things. Number one, Oklahoma turned the ball over twice, given the defense bad uh, bad field position. And number two, in the second half, Oklahoma began to move the ball, dominating the clock, and the defense getting the turnover themselves. To get a big play early in this game will pay huge, huge dividends for this defense because they feed off of emotion. If it's a if things are going well, this defense rises to the occasion. But if things are going bad, you see this defense just kind of begin to tank and shrug their head and drop their shoulders. Kudos to Alex Grinch. I had a conversation about this earlier in the week. Kudos to Alex Grinch because – he still has – he proved on Saturday night he has the ear of this defense. If they didn't trust in him, if they didn't believe in him, if they didn't believe in themselves, they're not coming back to win this game. But because they trust their coach and they believe in their coach and they want to play for their coach, we saw <laughs> a dominating defensive performance in the second half with two turnovers, including for the second week in a row, an interception that seals the game for Oklahoma. Um, as you're you're saying, rally emotion, buying into and playing off of that emotion. The 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 picture that's conjured in my head was from Peter Pan and Rufio. This is a side point, which is why I was laughing over here, and you're looking at me wondering what's happening. But I'm check it out. Yeah, I, you know when I I did the podcast by myself, I didn't have to bring up Peter Pan and, and talk about. Oh come on, it's such a good movie. And it's got Robin Williams. Okay, that's when, not even Peter Pan. That's Hook. But it's about Peter Pan, okay? Okay, we're not, we're not going here, down the Peter Pan train. Here, Unless we're talking about peanut butter. No. Defensively, I, I do agree with you. Oklahoma does have to get pressure on the quarterback. Dugan is turnover prone. He is a freshman. He will make those freshman mistakes. And I do believe if you can get pressure on him, it will lead to more of those mistakes. But ultimately, I I think what Oklahoma really needs to do is avoid what happened at or with Kansas State. Kansas State, known for controlling the clock, known really for for punishing teams who are unable to get their defense off the field. And I'm just going to state it here first and say that Oklahoma has, has got to find a way defensively to get off the field. Time of possession, TCU is seconds 
behind Kansas State on the year. It hasn't led to the same success. It hasn't led to those upsets for TCU at this point, but they have their opportunity here this weekend, and I think they'll try to replicate some of that success by controlling the the time of possession, by controlling the clock, and keeping this Oklahoma offense especially if C.D. Lamb is back. Mm-hmm. They'll want to keep Jalen Hurts away from the football, keep the football out of his hands. So TCU, I think defensively for Oklahoma, you've got to find a way to get stops. You've got to find a way to get off the field, which you could spin that one of two ways. It's winning first and second down, or it's just refusing to bend, refusing to break on that third down when it comes. Yeah, and you know I agree and. You know, I talked about pressure, Max Dugan. I, I talked about uh, getting a big play and getting momentum early. For me, the third and final thing on for Oklahoma's defense is keeping up with Jalen Rager. Uh, that the biggest playmaker TCU has. Not really the type of season. I think quarterback play had a lot to do with that. Not really the type of season that people thought or expected for him to have. 36 receptions, 545 yards, five touchdowns on the season. That's just receiving. Uh, the other things he does on special teams and so forth are just dynamic. You got to know where this guy is at all times, and you got to make sure the ball doesn't get to him because we all know how sometimes fundamentally bad Oklahoma is at tackling. This is a guy you don't want to miss a tackle on because if you miss a tackle on him, much like CeeDee Lamb, he's gone if, if you miss him. Well, and maybe – He's more of a, a track speed type guy, C.D. Lamb. I'm just going to say this as a side note. Um, and Josh McQuistion was the first one that I actually saw put this into writing, but I immediately latched onto it and believed that it was true. The difference maker that C.D. Lamb is this year is because of a, a mentality. It's a mindset, a shift here. And that is every time C.D. Lamb touches the ball, every time he catches the ball, Josh McQuistion, like I said, I got to give credit where credit is due. C.D. Lamb believes every time he touches the ball, he's going to score, that he's going to cross into the end zone. Jalen Rager is one of those guys as well. He has that kind of speed. I agree. You do need to know where he's at. You do need to account for him on every single possession. Not only will they use him in the receiving game, he also is receiving the handoff Um, getting the ball in the backfield and making things happen. Very, very dangerous player, very talented player at the skill position. Must account for him because he will be the one player who can punish you at any given moment. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, that's Oklahoma. That's TCU. We're going to give you a score prediction, but we've also got to go down uh, the Big 12 scoreboard. All five teams or all five games are going on Saturday, 10 teams involved. Second to last week of the regular season. I know it has flown by. Oklahoma, West Virginia kick off the day. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia kick off the day. Oklahoma, TCU in the day. Let's give you the rundown of all five games in the Big 12. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Okay, big news coming out of Stillwater on Thursday. Spencer Sanders done for at least the regular season. Potentially he can come back with the bowl game. Oklahoma travels to West Virginia. Oklahoma State travels to – all our Oklahoma State fans are going to get really mad about that. Oklahoma travels to Morgantown to play West Virginia. Austin Kendall benched last week. The Mountaineers get a big win in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, still has a chance. For bowl eligibility, Drew Brown now takes the helm for Oklahoma State. What are your thoughts here? Cowboys uh, going into this game as a heavy favorite now without heavy Spencer favorite. Sanders. It's just six, right? Well, I think it's down now with, uh, with the okay. news of, of Spencer Sanders. Give me your thoughts. Uh, my, my thoughts are this. Is West Virginia is going to struggle to bottle up a guy like Chuba Hubbard. Hubbard's making a case for the Heisman. There's some weight behind that as a back who consistently shows presence. He shows patience and the ability to make things happen when given the opportunity. I believe we see the number of carries average-wise. We see him eclipse that number pretty significantly this game, and, and I think he possibly has his most dominant performance of the year. With that said, I do think that Oklahoma State, even though they're on the road, has the potential to win this game if if they're not forced to throw it on a consistent basis. West Virginia giving up an average of 167.1 yards per game. They have not played Shuba Hubbard yet. Um I, I think Oklahoma rolls. I, I think they dominate this game. Oklahoma even, State. That's, gosh, why do I keep saying Oklahoma? I don't know. Um, I think Oklahoma State here, rolls, even without Tylen Wallace, even without Spencer Sanders, two of their top three players. I just I have zero faith in West Virginia. But in the back of my mind, I also keep thinking, how in the world did the Cowboys lose at Texas Tech? And when you consider that they, they went and lost to Texas Tech to a backup quarterback – you got to think West Virginia has a chance here. I think Drew Brown, as a, a fifth-year senior, is experienced enough to be able to take control of this offense. And Mike Gundy has enough weapons around him. Chuba Hubbard will be the focal point, but I'll also leave Drew Brown with the opportunity to make some pretty big plays with his arms. I'd like Oklahoma State to run the way with this. I'm like 42 to 17. <laughs> I'm serious. That's, that's I just, a huge. By the way, Chuba Hubbard. I'm I'm a OU fan. Okay, I, I am the biggest OU fan that you'll find. But Chuba Hubbard, heck of a season. I think he deserves a trip to New York City. It, it would be a packed front row if Chuba Hubbard is invited. I but I just I mean everyone's talking about the Wisconsin kid. And Chuba Hubbard's Jonathan Taylor. Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard is. I didn't want to mention his name, but because everyone's talking oh, okay. about. Him. Okay. But uh, Chuba Hubbard is just outperforming him across the board. I did my Maxwell vote. I have to. I I don't get to vote for the Heisman, but I do vote for the Maxwell. I did not give Chuba the first place vote. I sent that to Joe Burrow, but he was my number two guy. Just just based on if you look at what Oklahoma State has as far as offensive line, freshman quarterback, and what this kid is producing. He will probably break 2,000 yards this week on the season. If he doesn't, it's coming in bedlam. That's incredible to me. I I, I gave him my second place vote in the Maxwell Award. 
And um, I don't see why he doesn't get a chance to go to New York City. I really don't. Uh, Two is out. Two is hey, not uh, going. I, I agree. But if Chuba Hubbard goes, then there's five people. I don't think so. That will need I think to be Chuba's invited. Out. Chuba's not coming to New York City. I know, City. but listen. So Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. And Chuba Hubbard. Jonathan Taylor no, Jalen, and no. Chuba Hubbard. Trust, trust me. Jonathan Taylor will not go if Chuba goes. It will. You can't. You compare those two guys. And there, there's just there's ones up and ones down. I mean, one is clearly having a better season than the other, and it's not the Big Ten guy. All right, we got to move on. Career in our, achievement awards. <laughs> Kansas, Iowa State, um, big to me, big win for Iowa State. I, I think uh, I think this is along the lines of you know the Oklahoma State West Virginia score prediction, forty-seven seventeen, somewhere around there. Uh, Kansas got their big win, um, three wins on the season. Big recruiting uh, cycle right now for Les Miles, but they're not ready. Um, I want to skip Baylor and, and Texas and come back to that in just a second. Kansas State, <laughs> Texas Tech. Kansas State really let Oklahoma down with the loss last week to West Virginia. They got to go on the road to Texas Tech. Red Raiders still fighting for bowl eligibility at four and six. This is a big game for Kansas State, and I think this is a dogfight of a game. I think if you're wanting to just kill some time for an hour before Oklahoma and TCU kick off, you need to tune into this game. I, I think this will be somewhere around a one to three point game. I think this will be a, if you're just in for entertaining football and you really don't have a dog in the fight. I think this is a good game to watch. Oklahoma fans do need Kansas State to win this game, but I think this is going to be a fun game. See, uh, I'm on the opposite side of the fence from you because I think Kansas State has no more tricks up their sleeve. Mm -hmm. And Texas Tech, not saying that they're the best team on the on the planet, but their ability to stretch the field vertically, it, it's really going to test this secondary. Um, and I know that Kansas State has had one of the better, when we were doing our preseason previews, had a better set of safeties than a lot of the teams in the conference. In the past, defense has really been the strength of the, the this defensive unit for Kansas State. It, it's going to be strength on strength. I see where you're coming from, but I just think that there are going to be too many mistakes in this game on Kansas State side. And the fact that, like I said, no more tricks up the sleeve. There's, it, it was a one-trick pony, and it's done. Now Texas Tech is going to say, hey, here we are. I don't think it's a blowout, but I, I think it's a 10- to 14-point game in favor of Tech. Mm, I, I strongly disagree. Texas Tech, two-and-a-half-point favorite. We'll just have to see about that uh, later on when we do our Sunday yeah, night podcast. Yeah, I should have taken it as a Friday lock. Um, <laughs> I can't because we only do top 25 know, games for Friday locks. Texas at Baylor. This is the big game. Oklahoma fans need Baylor to win this game. Bears currently a six-point favorite. Longhorn, six-and-four on the season. Baylor, nine-and-one on the season. It is. This will be the first time, the way I understand this, first time in Texas football history that the Longhorns have gone an entire decade without winning a conference championship. They're still somewhat alive, not by much. They're dead in the water at this game. And I, I Oklahoma needs Baylor, Baylor to win. And I think they do. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I think it'll be a two-score game, somewhere around forty-two to twenty-eight, Baylor over Texas. Man, that's a lot of points, Matt. I, I, I yes, I, I agree. I, I recognize that. Yeah, I, I'm with you here, Baylor, and the the way that they have 
progressed under the direction of Matt Rule. We're looking defensively. There's talent there on the offensive side of the ball. I, I believe that Texas is at a point where you can say we give up. Mm-hmm. As a team across the board, we are seeing, for whatever reason, players transfer out of the program. I know that there were some comments that were made from Tom Herman that did not strike a chord. Whatever the opposite of that would be, that's what you need to put in here with the players. Is this team giving up on him? I I don't know that that's the case per se. You still have Sam Ellinger in the conversation. You still have him as the leader and the guy who sets the tone for the remainder of the program. But when it comes to on the field, I think Baylor is the the team that is more sound and will ultimately come away with a win. But I, I believe, again, it's a little bit closer than, than maybe what you're predicting here, but Baylor does get the win. All right, here we go. Final game, TCU at Oklahoma. Sooners number nine in the college football playoff rankings. Oklahoma, an 18-point favorite. 64 points is your over. Under, give me your score prediction. A 7 o'clock kickoff on Fox. Score prediction. Um, I, I think Oklahoma, I'm hoping, I should say, I'm hoping that that second half was really Oklahoma hitting their stride, figuring out some things and ultimately buying back in to what the coaching staff is selling here, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. If that's the case, I think once again, we see a solid performance in the first quarter, maybe give up some points here in the second and early in the third. And then I'm hoping again, hoping for a shutout in the fourth, which gives Oklahoma this, this comfortable about a 10 to 14 point win. If I had to put numbers with that, because this isn't something that I've thought of before this point. So this is me shooting from the hip. I'm going to say that, that Oklahoma wins this one by a score of 38 to 24. I think the over the uh, point spread's pretty much on point. I think Oklahoma wins this game by about 17 to 19 points. I've got a score prediction of 47-28 Oklahoma wins, securing their spot in the Big 12 championship and setting up, once again, Bedlam football this year in Stillwater to close out the regular season. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation Podcast. You can catch us at Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. At Sports Heartland on Twitter, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can catch us uh, on iHeartRadio. You can catch us on iTunes. You can catch us on Spotify. Wherever you're listening, thanks so much. We'd love to hear your feedback. Have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner.